Today's Plugged In podcast is sponsored by Volvo Cars Canada. The Volvo XC40 Recharge is Volvo's first pure electric SUV. It's a powerful drive with no tailpipe emissions featuring more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And the integrated Google OS will always keep you fully connected, even without your phone. It truly is an SUV designed for the city and the rest of the planet. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. As anyone who has put their right foot down on an electric vehicle's accelerator pedal knows, going fast is something EVs do very well. However, turn the steering wheel at speed and that race car-like acceleration is betrayed by a bus-like a cornering ability. At least, that is the case in many EVs, particularly Tesla's. So it's little surprise that a number of racing enthusiasts who also happen to love EVs have developed aftermarket suspension, brake, and cooling systems to improve the performance of electric vehicles, and to allow EV owners to prance with Ferraris and muscle in on Mustangs at their local racetracks. My guest today is one of those guys, and his Ontario-based speed shop has been on the cutting edge of EV performance upgrades since 2017. Sasha A. Nice is the founder of Mountain Pass Performance, which specializes in the design and sales of performance parts for electric vehicles. He has an extensive history in professional motorsport, having won championships as both a driver and team manager in various series throughout North America. Sasha is also the director of MoTech Canada, supplying motorsport electronics and custom software for motorsport and electrification projects. Thanks for joining us today, Sasha. Happy to be here. So before we get into all the fun stuff about what we're going to talk about, performance, EVs, I'd like to know what the first electric vehicle you ever drove was i believe it was a model s a tesla model s that we rented on turo i needed to get an idea of what this was all about so we rented a turo model s and i just was accelerating and braking on the highway as long as i could to see how long it would take to overheat (laughs) (laughs) so what what were your impressions of an electric vehicle? I mean, obviously you've had lots of seat time in, in some very intense performance cars, touring, racing, all that kind of stuff. So when you got out of that Tesla, what did you think? The Model S, to be honest with you, what didn't impress me. That specific one I felt was like a bit of too big and the steering wheel, everything felt just really big and, and kind of like a bus. But the first time I drove a Model 3, I felt like it was, wow, this is like a really, really sporty little sedan that kind of got me really excited and to be fair i haven't driven a or at that time i hadn't driven a performance uh, you know p85 at the time model s it was just your standard kind of -of run-of-the-mill one how did it in your mind compare to a the mechanics of a of a gas engine vehicle yeah honest honest to god it made me nauseous (laughs) usually you have when you press the accelerator pedal of a of a gas-powered car you have some wind up you have some noise you have you know, the torque converter or the transmission, everything kind of gets going. But with an electric car, it's just from no acceleration to now, you know, almost 1G of acceleration. And your brain, it takes some time for your brain to actually get used to that. And it it does make you, some people like nauseous and car sick the first few times uh, because none of your senses are expecting it. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that because in a race car, from your experience, obviously, the one thing it is, is it's violent and it's loud, right? So you, you kind of associate speed with those things. But when you are an electric car, you hit the accelerator, it's quiet. It's almost eerie in a way because you're you're hurtling through space and it doesn't seem like you should be. Yeah, it always, especially when you watch videos and when you're driving, it just doesn't feel as fast. I mean, you can put, you can have an incredible lap time and just be like, wow, actually, that didn't seem like I was going that quick. So let's just start in the beginning of your EV performance life. I mean, how does a guy who, like a petrol head racer, become an electric vehicle performance tuner? Yeah, you know, I, I started to feel, you know, reading more and more about climate change, watching documentaries about it. It's just starting to hit home and feel really like, especially being in the, you know, automotive tuning industry, it's like, I'm really not helping this problem. And um, kept hearing about Teslas and how powerful they were and how, you know, there's, of course, electric cars that have 100 horsepower that weren't very exciting. But when I started to understand how much power the, the uh, you know, 350-pound Model S motor can produce, it's like, wow, you can make a pretty fast sports car with that. So I just went on eBay and I just impulse bought a motor with no knowledge or experience or plan of what to do with it. I just, that was kind of my, you know, we'll just make it happen here. We've got the motor and we'll figure the rest out later, um, like an impulse buy. Right. Yeah, it was it was kind of a little bit like a light switch. I mean, the, the has been growing on me and feeling more and more guilty or, or like I wanted to try and do something. And But then it was just like a light switch and I just pulled the trigger and on eBay, bought the motor. And then at that point, I was committed to putting it in something cool. So what did your racing buddies think of this? Oh, you have no idea, man. <laughs> you have no idea. I still to this day get made fun of. It's an electric golf cart and how's your, you know, hot wheels going and all this stuff. But then you take them for a ride and they just smile and they have nothing bad to say, you know, it's just like they, they can't wipe the smile off their face. So they just like, they just like to throw jabs, but um, no one's really got anything bad to say about it. That's legitimate. They're all just having fun with me. So in terms of, you know, approaching getting performance out of an electric vehicle, how does that differ from a gas powered vehicle? Well, the main thing with an electric vehicle is that you just can't do very much with a powertrain, unfortunately. With a gas-powered vehicle, you know, especially if it's turbocharged, you can just turn the boost up and um, make make more power, basically. Uh, with an electric vehicle, there's limitations there. And even if you could try to squeeze a little bit more out of the inverter and the motor, no one's just figured out how to fully get in there and reprogram them. And, and that might just never happen, especially with over-the-air software updates where a car company can just overwrite whatever you've done. So most of the performance comes from improving the, the chassis of the vehicle and the handling. The cooling as well has been a big, um, you know, big area of improvement because an electric car makes tons of power, but they can't do that for long. So the longer you can get them to go at that full power, the more laps you can do. And, you know, the faster you can go, unless you're one of those guys that can get up there and hit it on the first lap. So just to, Talk about the motor itself. That's interesting because, as you say, you can't just kind of re-engineer it almost like you would a gas engine because you can't crack that software algorithm, essentially. You can't get to that point where you can start putting chipping it, I guess, is a way you could say it. But you just can't get there. If you could get there, if you did have an algorithm, you could input it and then somehow stop the OTA, the over-the-air updates. Can you Can you cut that off? There's a million different things you could do. I mean, there are some guys that are making custom boards for some inverters to request a little bit more. 
But, you know, you're not getting much more than, than the electric car manufacturer generally gives you. Unlike a gas-powered engine where it can last 100,000 kilometers with this much, say, RPM or boost, but you can turn it up, but it won't last quite as long. So that's kind of a trade-off the aftermarket will make. Like, I'll turn the boost up and I'll, you know, roll the dice. Well, with an electric vehicle, you don't really put the motor or the inverter under any more stress by making more power. It's just that it overheats faster and you can't do it for as long. So it's in the manufacturer's best interest to put in a smaller inverter and motor and just push it a little bit harder to get a lower cost product out the door. So most of the motors and inverters that are, that are getting shipped out are, you know, close to the limit already. And so basically what I don't want to get too technical here, but basically what you get into is the way that the motor is set up. At some point, you just kind of run out of battery voltage and there's nothing more you could do anyways, short of putting in a different motor or a higher voltage battery. So it's not like even if you got in there and cracked the inverter that you would get that much more out of most specifically permanent magnet motors. There's just not much more you're going to get out of them. Interesting. So I guess also, if you did get more out of them, there might be a, a negative in that, in that it might heat up or it might go into territory it's not really designed for, which could blow the whole thing up or, or melt the whole thing down. No, it wouldn't. It, it's, you know, um, unless you did something really crazy, like turn off of all the limits and protections, if you left that stuff in place, it would just overheat faster and then start reducing its own power earlier. You know, they, these things are monitoring everything, right? They know the temperature of the windings and the temperature of the magnet and the temperature of the inverter. So... Yeah, it's not like a gas-powered engine where you kind of don't know exactly what's happening in the combustion chamber and you could just melt a piston. That That's not really the case as much. It's kind of more controlled, actually. Okay, so the motor is kind of, you know, that's something that you kind of can do very little with. In terms of immediacy, what's the next biggest thing that you can do? Well, one of the nice things for us is that because of the cost of batteries are, is so high, EV manufacturers are kind of doing whatever they can to cut costs in other areas. So sometimes they don't necessarily make the car as good as they could just to be able to get to that price point. So we're able to improve on things like suspension components and dampers and brakes to bring the car up to a to a higher performance level just because, you know, if the manufacturer were to offer that, they would be pricing themselves out of this bracket that they're, they're shooting for. So we're able to take a car that is decent and make it into like the equivalent of a BMW M3 or kind of even almost like a Porsche GD3 and give you that like laser sharp feeling. That's, I think, what the biggest thing is right now. I mean, of course, you can go crazy, right, especially with EV conversions and you can put in different motors and different batteries and you can really make something crazy. But for the bolt on or the little upgrades, that that's like the highest value. Getting back to your original talk about the Tesla S there and you coming away not very impressed, I think, you know, obviously straight line acceleration is very interesting, but it, but the, the dynamics of the car, it's it's a big, heavy car. And, um, you know, what a lot of people I know who have had history with performance cars will buy one of these things, drive it, and as soon as they turn it, they're disappointed. Because oh, the suspension, really? yeah. well, I mean, you, you know that, right? The suspension just doesn't feel... Like if you're coming out of a Mercedes or, or a, you know, a, a German performance car, suddenly you've got the acceleration show. So your brain is telling you, man, this thing's going to be on rails and then you turn it and it's not on rails. So what you're talking about with suspension bits is tweaking it so it, 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 it performs like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, people are so hung up on straight line acceleration and I don't blame manufacturers for catering to that, uh, especially with electric vehicles. It costs them very little. Like I said, you can crank the power up. Uh, if you design it that way and it only needs to do it for 10 seconds and you can have, you know, 
a missile, but um, it costs a lot more money to make it have brakes that can last, you know, for laps. And it makes, you know, costs more to have dampers that are really great and um, sealed spherical bearings rather than just rubber bushing. So all those little things cost money and it's not like they can't do it. It's just, there's a cost to that. So it, in my opinion, it make like, I enjoy it a lot more having that balanced feeling and not just the straight line acceleration. Talking about brakes, obviously brakes on electric vehicles are different than on a gasoline powered vehicle because they have a regen system in them. Does that get in the way of what you want to do when you're beefing up a set of brakes on a Tesla? Yeah, well, it all kind of actually goes full circle. It's kind of funny how it works. Um, So we're now at a point where our brakes are upgraded, so they're not the limit anymore, but the battery is overheating first. So we actually turn off the regen on the racetrack most of the time because it doesn't really benefit us for longevity of the brakes, but we do get to be able to do more laps because the battery has more time to take a rest. Um, so basically the entire braking zone and entry phase of the corner, the battery can just be in an idle state where it can just be cooling as opposed to doing, you know, where it's heating up doing regen. So, uh, whereas, uh, some manufacturers, you know, the stock brakes are quite small, so they put a lot of regen in to try and help protect the brakes. So it actually, we did the total opposite once we did the hardware change. So yeah, it's kind of funny how that works. And it's also important to understand that at really high speeds, or when you're braking under ABS, the regen's not doing very much. So under ABS, the regen shuts off anyway. And then if you're at very high speeds, 80 kilowatts of regen works out to a very small amount of longitudinal like G-force acceleration. So the brakes still end up doing the majority of the work. So is that when you say you disengage them for the track or you you make it so they don't work, is that like a mechanical system or is it literally just a, a button software that you can just turn them off using, you know, scrolling through the menus in the car? Yeah, we have some electronic defeat modules that do certain things. Like on Teslas, you can't turn off stability control. So we made a module that where you can turn off stability control and deactivate regen if you want. So that's the way we do it. I believe also with track mode, you can turn it down to almost nothing as well. And, and maybe different cars, you can fully turn it off as well. Um, but certainly if, if overheating is the primary concern, it makes sense to just turn it off. You, you know, you'll deplete the battery a little bit faster, but that still is secondary to the overheating, which would happen first. When it comes to the suspension parts, are they off the shelf parts? I mean, are there things that fit into a Tesla or do you actually have to machine these things um, for each car? Yeah, yeah, we design and machine everything specific, you know, to our, yeah, it's all custom stuff that's machined in Quebec and it's done on a five axis and, you know, it's not like, uh, yeah, it's not like you just pull parts from something else and throw it on. That that would be pretty nice though. But Tesla hasn't gone there. They haven't set up like a, a performance sidebar where you could order parts for them. No, they have kind of creeped in on the aftermarket in some different areas. Like there were some people that were doing uh, wireless phone chargers and USB storage hubs uh, for your for your camera storage, and they did start to sell those things. So you know maybe it, they did set up do a track pack that was wheels and brake pads. So it, it, maybe they'll do that one day. Uh, kind of like you know some manufacturers do have like that sport line of products, but right now I think that their main focus is just on getting cars more and more cars built built and sold yeah and delivered so you talked about things like um, overriding some of the software and things what's the effect on a warranty when you do that kind of thing is there one i mean we've never seen something happen but of course you never know right i mean we always tell people about the um i I don't remember the name of the case but there's some law case in the states where basically 
there was a precedent now where you, you can't void warranty for something that's totally unrelated. So if you modify the, the suspension, you can't void warranty on a radiator, basically. But but yeah, it's definitely, we have to be careful. And, you know, especially with things like autopilot and these things, like we're, we're very careful with who we sell these specific electronic components to and make sure they understand what their intent is and that they use they're used only on the racetrack and it's only to you know for this specific purpose and to be disconnected when you're using it on the road you know there's autopilot there's self-driving like we don't want our parts to be you know in any way potentially blamed or involved in those systems if something goes wrong so it is like we do have to be careful and it is like really different than a gas power tuning where um you know, the car could drive itself. So if, if we're getting involved in something there, the, the liability could be quite high. So yeah, it's something that I've thought about. And, but, you know, ultimately we want to fix the problem. It's like, I tell you, it's not that fun to drive a car with really intrusive stability control on the racetrack. You know, just when you start sliding a little bit and you're starting to have a good time and then the car just jumps on the brakes and brings you almost to a stop. It, yeah. Yeah. It was, it's frustrating. So <laughs> Tell me about like the the average customer at Mountain Pass Performance. Oh man, we have a huge range. I got to say, our customers though are incredible. It's, it must be something about these early adopters in all the businesses that I've been in. Our Tesla customers are just they're super understanding if things are a little bit delayed. They're super enthusiastic. They're always sending us pictures and putting our stickers on their cars, even though we don't ask them to. And they're just like really enthusiastic, really great people. And it, it's like. It doesn't feel like it's a business. It feels like we're just hanging out with friends. <laughs> like, so it's really quite cool. Are a lot of them making a shift from having gas-powered track cars? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got some customers that had Ferraris. This week, we were talking to one customer sending us pictures of his F430 from Laguna. We have customers that have, we used to have M3s, M5s, Caymans. Like, lots of guys are... Some of them are just like, oh, I'll just try this electric car thing. And then they try it, like, wow, this is really good. Like, I don't need so much a track day car and a road car like this really fun daily driver is actually also really fast and fun on the racetrack and no doubt they like the attention they get having an electric car at the racetrack and the fact that it's new and exciting but yeah i mean our generally our customer base is really wide we have some customers that just want to improve the ride a little bit or just lower their car for you know the appearance and we have some customers that are going to pike's peak and you know building full out race cars you know, getting back to what you said about your, you know, leaving your your gas powered brethren behind and and them making fun of you, you're you're definitely and as the early adopters in the racing side are are really the front leading edge of this whole electric racing world, which is evolving. I mean, obviously everybody knows about Formula E, but at the grassroots level, it seems to be starting to to gain traction. Also, yeah, it's really fun. I mean, I love this Formula E and these these spec kind of homologated racing series but it doesn't give you that build your own car tune and develop your own bits and type of thing you kind of just buy the the kit or you're a huge company that develops it it's so yeah when you say grassroots that's that's what my passion has always been for motorsports and racing and um it's been really exciting to be able to do stuff ourselves and see other people doing similar things and and supporting our customers with with their projects and like it's really cool to see 20 or 30 Teslas all on the track together, but it's equally cool to see one Tesla show up at a track day full of Vipers and Corvettes and Ferraris and be hanging with everybody. And, and you know, it's like, wow, how is this thing this fast? Um, so yeah, it opens eyes for sure. 
you've talked a lot about Teslas. I mean, obviously, you know, you go to your website, there's, there's great photos of a lot of the Teslas you modified and things. If a customer brought you a Porsche Taycan, would you be able to work on that, be able to offer them things too? Right now we only have parts for Teslas, but um, we did want to get a Taycan in here and, and have a look through. But the tough thing about the Taycan is like Porsche made a Porsche. So, you know, they kind of already dialed the brakes and the suspension and, you know, there's not much for us to improve there. They kind of just said the budget's not a big concern. Let's just make the car the best we can. So for us, it's like short of making some $5,000 parts that are very niche. Yeah. There's not a ton to improve there for, from a business standpoint for us. Yeah. And so. you have to think the Audi e-tron GT will be similar. The RS GT. They'll yeah. Be- I think, I think the Audi will have a little bit more to do. I mean, they're not, it's not going to be as extreme, but it, it's also just that we don't have a connection to that customer base and those, I think that those types of customers will be working with their established European performance shops. So we have to see, I mean, we we've become so entrenched with Tesla now that there has to be enough volume of the, of the car we're looking at to start branching out into that Um, because it takes a lot of effort. You need to know the car inside and out. You, You almost need to have one. I think really to do it properly, you need to own the car. You need to take it to the track multiple times a year. You need to test your parts. So it's a big commitment. We're not, just like looking at a car and drawing up a part and selling it without trying it. And is it the Model 3s that specifically you are, I mean, is that where really the sweet spot is in the Tesla model range for you guys to make it a performance car? The Model 3 is great because it's a great value. So we've got customers that can get into the Standard Ridge Plus for, you know, once you look at the running cost, it's less than a Camry uh, over the life of it. And then up to a performance, which is, you know, kind of like a BMW M3 level. But that being said, I, you know, the Tesla's coming out with this crazy, whatever, 1100 or 1200 horsepower Model S. So I would think that we should <laughs> look at that one pretty, pretty closely, even though it's big and heavy, it's just going to be brute force, you know, speed. So, but yeah, I think that when there's more of those kind of mainstream high volume electric cars, we're not just all about uh, modifying Teslas. It's just that that was the car that I felt that really woke me up when I drove it and made me excited. Um, and when other cars make me feel that way, I'll, I'll make parts for them as well. We're not just going to make parts for whatever cars come out. Like it's, you know, I've got to be passionate about it. And, and then the, then that kind of follows on its own. Otherwise it doesn't, yeah, it's just not going to work if it's not, if it's not natural. Yeah. So you guys sell parts for these cars, but you'll also install them for people. You have a, a service center right there, right? No, no, we, we only do the design, design and sales. Yeah. We don't do any service. Uh, it was a conscious decision to just, you know, focus on, because what happens is if you start, like I ran a shop for five years and you just get sucked into the day-to-day. It's really hard to to ha- have that time that you need to test and develop and, you know. Can they install them themselves? Is that is that most of them are do-it-yourselfers? I would say half. Or they can take it to a garage and get them done? I mean. Actually, a lot of shops call us and say, oh, you know, is this thing going to kill me? And like, do I need to worry? And how do I disconnect the battery? And it's like, you don't need to worry about that, man. Like <laughs> the car is isolated. It's not going to like the, uh, the high voltage can't leak out to you. You just change the suspension like a European car. It's not any different than a normal car in, in that regard. You guys do though have um, project cars that you're building. Yeah, we've got a couple of just development cars. And I think initially it was like, wow, this is a lot of money to spend to build a car that but it's been really worth it. I think specifically the the car that I bought that Tesla motor for, the Lotus Evora, um, that was a Lotus Evora. And we, I picked that car because you know it's uh, 
it's got a Toyota Camry engine in it. So it's not like a Ferrari or something like that. You, you, you're not doing any, you're not offending anyone by taking up that Camry engine from that, <laughs> right, from right, that Lotus. Right. And um, yeah, I learned so much. I mean, we developed the entire electronics control system for that car. And it's like turnkey OEM. You just get in, turn the key and everything, you know, you can plug in the charger. It wakes the car up. It starts charging. When it's done, it turns the car off on its own. It's got high power DC fast charging. So the learning curve there, the amount of just detail and, and knowledge I gained about, you know, control systems and how these systems interact with each other and what batteries need and what motors need and how the two influence each other, like just all of the integration work, um, the knowledge gained there, I think, was invaluable. It would be hard to learn it any other way. Um, and then took that skill set and applied it to or that experience, I should say, and applied it to our our Nissan 350Z, which has been a race car that I've had since um, 2008. Um, and it was originally built in 2003. So it's like almost a historic car at this point. And then last year we put in a, we, we took out the clutch and flywheel and we put a Formula E motor in place. So it's now a fully gas, like it still has a gas engine and the electric motor. So it's a full hybrid race car um, it doesn't have a starter. It doesn't have a clutch. So basically the electric motor starts it driving from a stop, shakes the hell out of everything, basically lumping the cylinders over one at a time and the car is lurching forward until it gets up to fast enough speed that it smooths out. Um, but it's like a rocket ship now. It has, you know, 700 horsepower. Um, and it basically it's as fast as a, as a IMSA GDD car. So it's a professional GD3 race car speed now out of that thing, which, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, we're really proud of it. And um, there's just a lot of integration going on. I mean, you've got all that EV, you know, uh, platform, as well as all of the sequential transmission and engine control and all the other normal race car electronics that have to happen as well, um, all working together. And um, yeah, so those are kind of our two in-house projects. And um, so far, they've been really really exciting and um we've learned a ton from them and luckily we haven't gotten electrocuted yet so <laughs> fingers crossed you have a great website i mean i encourage people to go onto it and, and check out the cars and you have great stories about everything and some youtube videos so you know oh, there's no, yeah there's no shortage of things that people can kind of go down the proverbial rabbit hole when it comes to ev racing um and performance i guess do you see an EV racing series in Canada coming or in Ontario? I mean, is there talk of that? I mean, guys who are putting their money into these cars must be wanting to race each other at some point. Right now, everyone's pretty happy to just do time attack and lapping days and that sort of thing. I think when a racing series comes, it's you're going to need to have racetracks get on board with charging infrastructure. Because if you've got 15 cars that need to charge their full batteries three times a day, you know, it's, it's not going <laughs> to... So I, I'm always leaning on Canadian Tire Motorsports Park and, you know, Toronto Motorsports Park and just saying, like, please, but the business case isn't there for them yet. Yep, makes sense. So I guess it's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing, but I hope it comes sooner than later. Talking about that need to charge, let's say, in three days fully, I mean, is the wear and tear on these cars and the batteries going to be compromised if you do go racing in them? Uh, it depends on how you use them. So if you're always charging to 100%, then I would say the battery wear will be noticeable. But if you're going to lapping days and you're charging to 90% and you're going from 90 to 40 and 90 to 40 back and forth, it will be higher, of course, but it's not like a deal breaker. It's not like significant. You know, it might 
accelerate the aging 30% or something. But um, if you compare it, I think, to the way that gasoline-powered cars wear when you take them to the track, an electric car uh, is very low maintenance. I mean, pretty much just change the brake pads and the, the brake fluid. The thing will just run and run and run. <laughs> you're not going to see broken down. No oils, no liquids or anything, right? Yeah, you're not going to see, like, boost pipes blown off and, you know, cars with all these problems. It's actually one of the nice things about electric cars is you, they're pretty pretty bulletproof on the racetrack. They very rarely have a problem. Okay, I'd just like to ask you one last question. And this is one I always ask guests, no matter what world of the EV they're from. And um, we didn't really talk about consumer EVs and the whole EV revolution, as, as it's like to be called. But obviously, you're you're very engaged in the, in the space. Um, and you, I'm sure you think a lot about it. What do you think will be the, the tipping point? What will signal the tipping point in Canada of EV adoption? Oh, I think we're already there. Okay. Honestly, I mean, I drive around and I see five or six electric cars on my short drive to work, 20 minute drive to work. I really think that we're right there. Um, I think that there's that fear of it. Like, do these things actually last? Can you actually drive anywhere? That's for me been the thing. It's like, where do I charge it? What do I do? And I feel like that now we're right at that point where there's enough of them out there that people are understanding that yes, this does work. It's not just some weird fad and they're very functional. And so to me, that was always the limitation. And what I, whenever anyone would express concerns to me, it was, can I get to the cottage? Will this work for me? Will the battery need to be replaced? Like those basic questions. And I think that now there are enough electric cars out there and that if you're looking, you'll see enough on the road every day to give you that confidence to, you know, to go and buy one. Um, I think we're at the tipping point, honestly. That's Sasha Anise, owner of Mountain Pass Performance, located in King, Ontario, just north of Toronto. Thanks, Sasha. Thank you so much. It really shouldn't surprise anyone that electric vehicles are finding their ways onto racetracks. That well-publicized acceleration is a calling card for those who like to go fast. And with well-financed global events, from Formula E to Extreme E, and from the Isle of Man TT to the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, attracting the greatest brands and names in racing, EV Motorsport will only get bigger and better. Sasha Anise is certainly at the forefront of that movement in terms of supplying weekend racers with the equipment and knowledge required to turn their road car into a track star. To learn more about Sasha's cutting-edge work and to check out that outrageous 700-horsepower hybrid electric Nissan 350Z, visit mountainpassperformance.com. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to my guest Sasha Anis, producer extraordinaire Darm McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. You'll also be able to access a new series of virtual auto events called Driving into the Future. By registering, you can listen and engage with a virtual panel of leading figures in the Canadian and global automotive and energy sectors. Visit events.driving.ca to sign up for free. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1, 2, and 3.